I am really excited to bring to you this week something that I feel I've touched on from time to time. I've certainly talked a lot about women's hormones. I've talked a lot about things like endocrine disruptors and things like that. What I haven't done much of uh, in the history of Vitality Radio is talk specifically about fertility and birth control. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I've got an amazing guest who I stumbled across out of, uh, well, I don't know if I'll call it luck. Uh, Maybe this was meant to be, but I found an amazing woman on Instagram uh, her Instagram uh, handle is at innate underscore fertility. And if you have not been following that and you are a woman interested in this topic, you must follow it. She posts some amazing stuff. I was uh, I went ahead and reached out to her not knowing who she was, and she graciously said that she would be willing to give some of her time to us on Vitality Radio. I'd like to welcome to the show Lauren Sophia from Innate, sorry, Innate Fertility. Lauren, welcome to Vitality Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Jared. I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'll tell you, I have to tell you, now that I just messed that up, I'll tell you what else I did earlier. (laughs) I was texting over to uh, one of my assistants, Jessica, that uh, you were about ready to come on the show. And I said, yeah, I'm just about ready to record with Inmate Fertility. (laughs) 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 Because apparently I either typed it wrong or uh, Innate became Inmate on my phone and I left the typo because I thought it was hilarious. So anyway. That's that's a first, but pretty good. (laughs) So I don't think we'll be talking a lot about inmates on today's show, but we'll see where it goes. Uh, really <laughs> excited to have you here. Uh, so, Lauren, you are a fertility wellness expert and a coach. Um, how did you get into that line of work and uh, talking about what you talk about? Yeah, thanks for asking. So, ironically, or not so ironically, the reason that we're here and discussing what we are today is the reason I became (laughs) a fertility wellness specialist and coach. It's what led me down the path. And so uh, my experience or my, what led me on my journey to become uh, so involved in women's health and wellness and fertility is my own experience with the birth control pill. And I was on the birth control pill for around eight years consistently. And on the pill, I developed several different issues, which hindsight's twenty twenty. I can now easily connect all the issues I experienced and developed to the pill. Uh, but I developed prediabetes, subclinical hypothyroidism, an autoimmune disorder, candida, which is a terrible digestive issue, and melasma, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and I started to really not be okay with the fact that I was taking a medication that wasn't even working for what I had originally started it for, which was acne. And what we'll talk about today is most women taking the pill are actually not using it for contraception. (laughs) So it's all these off-label uses. And I was one of those women. Uh, And so I, I was on the pill started, my acne started coming back and I developed all these other things. And I was like, I just... This doesn't feel right. I don't want to be on a medication if I if I don't have to. Uh, and so I talked to my doctors and got off of it. But nothing could have prepared me for the sort of rebound that happens with the pill as well. And this is something called post-birth control syndrome. It's a term coined by Dr. Jolene Brighton, who has really actually led uh, a lot of information on the pill in general. I really admire her work. And uh, she was actually one of the only resources available to me when I started experiencing post-birth control syndrome. And that could look like a lot of different things. It's kind of a black box in terms of how our genetics respond to medications and, you know, kind of choose to unfold afterwards as well. Uh, But for me, looking back, it was very mild compared to what other women experience. A lot of women experience uh, PCOS and really uh, late, late developed endometriosis and things like that. But I experienced a ton of uh, hair loss and a ton of uh, acne as well, rebounding, uh, really intense fatigue, 
um, and melasma as well. It got even worse. So I was like, what is happening to me? And I went to three different doctors, uh, my primary care doctor, my OBGYN, and my dermatologist. And I was like, can you please help me? I don't know what's happening to me. And all they could offer me was getting back on the hormonal birth control pill or taking a different kind of pill that would mess with my hormones. And at that point, I was just like, I'm, this doesn't feel right. I'm done with this. And I'm, I guess I'm going to have to go out on my own and figure this out. So I started doing tons of research, experimenting on myself with nutrition and lifestyle changes. And I was able to heal myself uh, from post birth control syndrome, get to you know, a, a equilibrium. But in the process, I also was able to heal my lifelong asthma as well. And uh, that was really life-changing for me because I had been on a steroid inhaler for about 20 years and, you know, had my emergency inhaler always near me in case I had an asthma attack. And asthma is very serious, but, um, you know, I, I think that just really flipped the switch for me. And I was like, I need to help other people with this because, this is more people need to know about this. They don't have to be chained by these, you know, medications and things like that. So, so you just said so much that I want to unpack. There's a few things in particular that were really, really interesting. Coming at this from you know a, a man's perspective, uh, and you know not having a, a monthly cycle and not having the potential to you know bear a child and some of these things. Obviously, my perspective is quite a bit different. However, I have had six children, and so I've uh, witnessed the process and what women go through with fertility and with conception and with uh, miscarriage and with uh, pregnancy and birth and postpartum and all of those things. And it's it can be a pretty overwhelming thing for a lot of women, I think, to just think about all of the different uh, things that need to be juggled when it comes to uh, this topic. But you said a few things that I think are really, really interesting. The first thing I want to touch on, because I anticipate I already know the answer, but I'm really curious to know what your answer is to this, and that is how much of this was just a complete uh, shock to you that birth control could have that effect? I mean, did, did you expect any of those types of side effects from it uh, going in? No. And what's interesting is I would go to my doctor and tell them, you know, I was feeling this way or my labs would come back and, uh, you know, my HbA1c, which is a marker for inflammation and blood sugar typically, but really it's inflammation. Um, it would be pre-diabetic and they'd be like, how much, how much, uh, bread are you eating? And I'd be like, I'm not eating bread. I'm eating salads, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, no one asked me either what my pre genetic predisposition was to diabetes either. And I have diabetes on both sides of my family. And so there could be so much more being done. I think before somebody chooses to get on the pill, some familial history exploration, like, ask questions because if someone's prone to blood clots, the birth control pill increases the chances of blood clots, uh, autoimmune disease, you know, gut issues, thyroid issues. There's so many things that could possibly happen if you take this pill. And so if we're predisposed, there's a likelihood that we have a higher risk of developing those things while we're on the pill. And so um, it was definitely a shock. I had no idea. It was the easiest medication to get in my life when I wanted it. Um, and uh, it was given to me without any questions. I did ask if it would affect fertility, um, you know, coming off of it. And my doctor was like, no, you can come off of it and you'll get pregnant right away. And that's it. That's all you need to do. Like, <laughs> so it's to me, it sounded like, OK, it's going to fix my acne because that's what I originally went to the doctor for. And um, it was the easiest thing. And, you know, when I started to learn about the different ways it affects the body and the different functions and, um, you know, learn even more about my cycle. Because at that point, when I had taken the pill and for many years on the pill, I didn't really understand how my female cycle worked either. And I think that's a huge gap as well. A lot of women are kind of pushed and pressured to get on this thing when in reality, we have much more control than we think we do um, if we just took the time to understand our bodies. And, you know, that's we, we could definitely be educated a little bit better too. But, um, you know, I was, I was 
first very angry. I went through the stages of like, uh, I forget what the uh, different stages of grief are, but, um, and, and what that's called, it's somebody's name, but um, I went through all those stages. <laughs> so, yeah. Because it's a major shock to the system, right? I mean, what you just mentioned so many different things that went south or wrong with you based on this one decision. And I think it's interesting to me. I see this so many times where people go in for one reason, you know, whether it's acne or anything else, medical, and get a, a drug for that thing, uh, not knowing that the drug has this long list of potentially much more challenging side effects than the original condition uh, was really posing in terms of threat, right? That acne is no fun uh, and significant acne is no fun. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to deal with that. But yet I anticipate that you would have probably accepted your acne if you would have known that the alternative was all of this other stuff that birth control brought to you. Absolutely. and. You know, now we live in an information age. This was a long time ago, but at that time, really the only source of information was my doctor and my friends and my family. There wasn't a lot of self-help resources. And so, you know, if I were to experience that now, I'd be like, okay, why do I have acne? What's causing my acne? Not just how can I get rid of it? Uh, and, you know, of course, medications can be very helpful for some situations, but they always come with a price. Um, that's not to say, you know, women with severe issues like severe endometriosis in terrible, terrible pain, the birth control pill, for example, can be a really therapeutic agent while they get other things under control. But the point is to be informed of the other potential risks that could develop while you're on the pill, which not women, uh, not many women, really, most women are not given proper disclosure. Yeah, I think most women with birth control really see it as a very mild and gentle, uh, you know, mostly side effect free type of a thing that's actually going to get rid of a lot of effects or what would be considered issues associated with the female cycle. Uh, what I think is really fascinating, like really fascinating, is that you mentioned in the very beginning, uh, after I asked you kind of, you know, a little bit about your story, that birth control had, had brought you all of these different uh, side effects. But many of the side effects that you mentioned are reasons why doctors put people on birth control. Mm -hmm. So that seems really confusing, I guess, to a lot of people listening right now. So why don't we... Pull, uh, go through that a little bit and, and uh, try and understand how the side effect that can be caused is also potentially why uh, someone would be treated with that drug. Yes, it is very fascinating. And it kind of goes back to, you know, there, there will be women listening that are like, I took birth control, nothing happened to me. And that's, sure. that's great. You bet. That's really great. I'm so glad because... There are so many other women that <laughs> it just completely wrecked them um, in some way, shape, or form. So it's true. A lot of women take birth control for side effects, like, uh, and it's about 60% that use it for off-label uses. Um, so not contraceptive, not for contraception, but for things like menstrual pain, uh, acne, endometriosis, irregular periods. Um, there's a, a term called unspecified hormonal symptoms. <laughs> Here, we don't understand what's happening with you. Just get on the pill. <laughs> maybe maybe this will help. Yeah. Um, so does is it also prescribed for PCOS? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. Sometimes? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't actually sure on that. I, I know endometriosis is a really common one that it's prescribed for, for sure, and, and, and of course, the pain and, and all that. Um, I want to make sure that people listening understand this. If you, if you haven't heard the term off-label, basically what it means is the FDA has approved a drug for a specific use or sometimes uses. In the case of uh, contraceptives, oral contraceptives, they're per, they are uh, 
approved for uh, prevention of uh, pregnancy, right? I don't believe there are other specific approvals. I think the other reasons why birth control is used are all off-label uses, things that are not FDA approved. Is that accurate? Sorry, I didn't understand the question. Uh, let me, let me, yeah, I don't think I stated it very <laughs> well. Let's start over here. So off-label use when it comes to this, the birth control pills are primarily used for prevention of pregnancy. Oh, right? oh yes, yes. Uh, as a contraceptive. Uh, and the other uses that they're prescribed for, acne, endometriosis, and things like that, are they approved for those uses? Or what do you mean when you say off-label, just to make sure that people understand? Oh, not, not officially approved. Like this is not a endometriosis medication. This is not an right. acne medication. That's when that term would be approved for use for that thing. Uh, but it's kind of like, um, there's another really popular medication uh, for PCOS and acne, actually, uh, because PCOS typically involves high androgens. Um, it's a high blood pressure medication. It's called spironolactone, and it's off-label used mm -hmm. for acne and uh, high androgens, and, and that can cause you know excessive hair growth and things like that. Uh, so that's just another example of how uh, you know, a, a medication could be used. Another really popular one is a fertility drug, and it is letrozole. And that's actually a breast cancer medication, but it's being off-label used for fertility treatments. Uh, so there's so many different kinds of uh, off-label uses for various medications. Another one the men might be familiar with, which is now approved for, uh, I believe, uh, erectile dysfunction, but Viagra started as a blood pressure, um, I believe a blood pressure medication yeah. too. And then yeah. they found this other use and I believe it's now approved for men's sexual health. Um, right. Right. But, you know, it's kind of, that's, a, that's another example that you could use. <laughs> well, and what's important to understand then is if it's an off-label use in most cases, that means there aren't a, a bunch of studies that prove its safety in that use. Mm -hmm. It's basically assumed that it will help with that because during trials, they showed maybe an improvement in some of those symptoms. And uh, there's been a lot of evidence, you know, after approval that the drug might work for those things, but it never has been actually safety tested and vetted by the FDA to say, yes, birth control is an effective and safe method of prevention of acne, for instance. Yeah. So, so that's important. It's kind of goes back to something I mentioned just uh, a few weeks ago on Vitality Radio when I talked about, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And there's a lot of these things that are used in pharmacy, specifically in the off-label use, that are based on kind of the best guess, not actual great clinical trials. So I just wanted to make sure that people kind of understood that. The birth control pill is interesting to me. I don't know the history so much in terms of how it came to be, but you mentioned prior to us recording that there is an interesting history that you think people should know. So talk to us about how this pill or how these types of contraceptives came to be. Oh, yes. It's got a very interesting history, and it's riddled with eugenics and unethical trials, uh, which might actually be very shocking for some to hear. And I just want to preface that this is very well documented. This is not something that's, you know, found in a forum, a, a kind of gossip like. <laughs> right. It's not your opinion. Yeah, it's not my opinion. It's well documented. You could look it up on the History Channel. It's just not very much talked about because um, I guess there's a lot of discouragement that could come from it, depending on how you look at it, uh, in taking the medication. So, uh, it starts with really Margaret Sanger, who you might be familiar with. Uh, she um, had her statue outside of Planned Parenthood and was recently taken down a couple years ago because um, her history with this as well, um, her history of eugenics and supporting that. Um, so it does start with her. <laughs> and um, she thought that non-white people should be prevented from procreating um, and wanted to eliminate undesirable populations with, by controlling their breeding. So she was definitely a proponent of bodily control, bodily autonomy, but under that sort of more noble um, campaign was a really devious kind of um, ulterior motive to control uh, 
populations of people living in extreme poverty, the mentally and physically defective. Uh, so she looked for modern forms of birth control. And she met Gregory Pincus, who was a biologist that conducted very controversial experiments. Um, he actually was one of the first uh, scientists to use synthetic progesterone to prevent uh, pregnancy in rabbits and mice. And um, with Margaret Sanger's support, uh, also conducted a small human trial, not approved, it was illegal, but um, a small human trial. And they kind of teamed up and wanted to make it a larger human trial to really get uh, sort of um, come to, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Statistical significance. They wanted to blow mm -hmm. it up and really make this thing a medication. Um, and, and to distribute it more broadly. So they looked for populations to do this and they saw Puerto Rico, the country, the people of Puerto Rico as a perfect um, trial ground. And the population there at this time was booming, but it was also really, really poor, really uh, very, very high poverty rates. And um, it was also where many birth control clinics had been opened under the New Deal program. And uh, it was also, these birth control clinics were also sponsored by Procter & Gamble, uh, the Procter & Gamble heir, excuse me, uh, Clarence Gamble, who was also a eugenicist. So him and Margaret Sanger and were very much in support of each other's work. And similar to Sanger, Gamble believed that Puerto Ricans and poor people should be wiped out to make room for more fit members of the population. And they both saw birth control as a way to do that. And um, he used birth control clinics actually to recruit women for um, the biologist Pincus, who I just mentioned, Gregory Pincus, to um, experiment with. And um, actually during this time too, there were large campaigns um, for sterilization uh, after two children, basically, they'd be like, you should, you should stop having children here. Let's get you a hysterectomy. Um, and there was a really uh, sort of medical campaign to reduce or control the population by limiting the number of children to two, two children. And they did this by encouraging hysterectomies. And I believe during, and I, I think the dates are around the 30s to the 60s, about 30% of the population was sterilized. Uh, at least the population of the females, um, my grandmother included. And um, wow. <laughs> in 1955 is when the trials uh, started uh, on the poorest people in San Juan, which is the capital, and other cities. Um, they were being recruited for Pincus's birth control trial. Uh, the women there, though, they weren't given full disclosure. They were told that this was an approved medication for preventing pregnancy. They were not told that this was an experiment or a trial. So they thought this was safe. They thought this was going to keep them safe and just be a really an effective way to not get pregnant again. Um, because the poorest of the women uh, were the ones that weren't questioning necessarily the safety or asking more questions. The more educated women in Puerto Rico were less likely to take the medication. So it was working exactly as Margaret Sanger and um, Gamble wanted. And so there was no safety information given. Uh, there was uh, a lot of side effects like blood clots, spotting, depression, and nausea. Uh, when they were reported, the women were dismissed as unreliable. Uh, some women died as well, uh, but there were never any autopsies done to understand what the cause of death was. So they technically can't be attributed to the pill, but it's very possible. Um, yeah. And uh, to Pincus and everybody else, the trial, quote unquote, looked like a success. Uh, to the women, it wasn't a trial. It was just them taking medication. But um, the, so it was a success. And um, the first birth control pill, which was called Inovid, uh, was approved in 1957, and then it was approved as a contraceptive in 1960, and um, the rest is history. Yeah, that's really, when you dig back into the annals of history when it comes to medicine, there are some pretty dark corners you can turn, and that's one of them for sure. So, so this was happening 
maybe less, uh, I mean, in terms of the motivations, when it was finally approved in 1960 as a contraceptive at that point, um, perhaps the pharmaceutical company was just looking to roll out a, a drug that would work as a contraceptive that would make profit like drug companies want to make. Uh, but the early uh, stages of this sound like they were uh, a lot darker than just preventing pregnancy in the general population, right? Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, I think the success of this pill, which has changed a lot, the first one was a very high dose of synthetic estrogen. Uh, and still, relatively speaking, the current birth control pills are still relatively very high doses of estrogen compared to our endogenous production. So our internal mm -hmm. production, our ability to create estrogen by ourselves. Um, but they, these were very, very high, um, which caused a lot more side effects. They've tried to kind of lower the estrogen levels in the current pills a lot to reduce the side effects, but they still cause a lot of problems, obviously. And there is an estrogen industry. So, um, you know, there's... Um, Another medication as well, uh, well, BPA, uh, I've heard Dr. Anthony Jay talk about this, and he's mentioned how BPA was actually first being explored as a birth control agent, but it was not very lucrative, so they kind of switched it to utilizing it in the manufacturing industry. Um, mm -hmm. And he has a book called Estrogeneration. It's a really interesting book, um, but there are other medications as well. Uh, that have caused problems. The anti-nausea medication um, prescribed around, I think, up until the 70s. Um, and I'm totally blanking on the name right now for some reason. <laughs> it starts with a D. Does it ring a bell? Uh, I'm tr no, I don't think I can come up with it either right now. But we'll we'll come up with it after the recording and uh, and potentially add it to after the fact or put it in the description or something like that. I want to make sure we list Doctor. Uh, doc sorry, who is the name? Doctor J. Yeah, Doctor Anthony. Like the basketball player. Yeah, Doctor Anthony. <laughs> Doctor Anthony J. J. Yeah, he's Astro Generation. Astro Generation and um the. Yeah, I have not heard of that one. I want to read that. The medication was DES, and so. Um, oh, DES. Okay. Yeah, it was a disaster. They were prescribing it as an anti-nausea medication uh, during pregnancy. And there were just so many issues with not only the women taking them, uh, the medication, but their children and their grandchildren. It's had, you know, kind of generational impacts, uh, really severe ones. Um, and uh, that itself is a very high estrogen, um, high dose of synthetic estrogen. And, um, so we're, you know, that's taken off the market, but, um, and the original birth control formulation has been lowered to reduce the amount of synthetic estrogens, but, um, these, it is, it is an industry they're trying to make money. And so we have to th realize that too. Yeah, for sure. So with the estrogen, maybe it's, it's important, I think right now to just take a second to explain how the birth control pill works. You're talking about putting a bunch of exogenous uh, estrogen into the system, basically, uh, which exogenous just meaning it's coming from outside the body, endogenous from inside the body. Um, explain a little bit about how, why that works, why that would prevent birth so that people can maybe understand that a little bit better. Or not birth, sorry, uh, conception. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple different mechanisms of action, uh, but the primary sort of way of thinking about it is Women have a very, women are actually very cyclical. So our hormones fluctuate throughout the day. They fluctuate from week to week during our cycle. So mm -hmm. when you take a birth control pill, it's pretty much a very sort of standard dose of synthetic hormones, usually synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone. And what this does is it tells our brain, which controls our hormonal sort of fluctuations and production in our body, that we have enough, we're good for now. Uh, and so it shuts off that part of the brain that controls the hormonal production of the body so that it stops producing the hormones internally at, because we have that external hormones, the external hormones coming in. And until we, you know, stop taking those external hormones, 
only then can our body try to reestablish the connection between our brain and our ovaries, which is what the synthetic hormones shut off. Um, so it shuts off the sort of communication between the brain and the ovaries through this ingestion of synthetic hormones. And it could be ingestion. It could also be via hormonal IUD. There's other mm -hmm. birth control methods that are injection or an arm implant that release hormones. Uh, so when I'm talking about birth control in general on this podcast, I'm talking about hormonal contraceptives in general, not just the oral pill kind. Um, and so it suppresses ovulation as a result. So you need to ovulate to be able to procreate the egg has to get released, that's ovulation. And then that empty sac that the egg comes from is what produces progesterone, which supports implantation. And um, it also thickens cervical mucus to block sperm. So this only really happens once we stop ovulating. The body changes um, cervical fluid, thickness, thinness, uh, and cervical fluid is actually what keeps sperm alive in our bodies. And that's why we are actually fertile for longer is because we only ovulate once every cycle. And that takes about 24 to 36 hours. Um, but once that's done, we're no longer fertile. The reason that we are fertile for longer, and this is about five to six days of our cycle, sometimes seven days depending, is because our cervical fluid keeps sperm alive. So if we were say to have intercourse five days before ovulation, there is still a chance we could get pregnant because that cervical fluid will keep the sperm alive and allow it to travel up to the uterus. Um, so it thickens cervical mucus to block sperm and that happens post ovulation uh, naturally, but the contraceptive is inducing this. Um, it also changes tubal mobility. So our um, <laughs> our, our, our tubes, fallopian tubes, um, it changes the way that they can move. Um, it also thins the uterine lining. And to have a supportive and successful implantation, we need to have a, a healthy, lush uterine lining. So the pill will, or hormonal contraceptives will thin the uterine lining so that there's not enough lining to support an implanted, uh, excuse me, a fertilized egg. Um, and so that's generally speaking the mechanisms those are the mechanisms of action there are some hormonal contraceptives that will allow you to still ovulate uh, but some of these mechanisms could still be maybe ethically questionable depending on you know your your spirituality yeah like it's fascinating when you think about that because to me again kind of an outsider's perspective i've had to think about you know the potential of um, contraception uh, with uh, from the perspective of someone who uh, you know may be wanting to get or not get my wife pregnant at the time, right? But uh, from the perception or the perspective of a of a woman who is dealing with this, there's a couple of things that I think we need to address before I let you go today. One is that's a ton of disruption going on. I mean, you just mentioned about five or six different mechanisms that are happening in there uh, that are creating uh, a very, very low likelihood of conception uh, because of all of the disruption that's happening, right? The communication disruption and the thinning uh, of, the, of the lining like you talked about. All of these things are happening. And so then you mentioned something that I would dare say the vast majority of humans have never heard of. And that is when we come off of the birth control pill or any other kind of hormonal, you know, IUD or whatever uh, you're, you're using is that uh, condition that you experienced uh, coming off of it, which is, is that that's not a medical um, term, right? Like your doctor's never going to use that term. Uh, use, say it again, what you, what you called it. Post-birth control syndrome. Yeah, post-birth control syndrome. How many people that you've talked to have ever heard of that or anything close to that from their doctor? <laughs> Nobody. Uh... Nobody, right. <laughs> yeah. So then you, you go on this thing thinking, okay, this is what's happening. I'm going to take this pill or I'm going to have this IUD or I'm going to get this shot or whatever it is, right? Any of these hormonal uh, contraception or contraceptives. And when I'm done not wanting to be pregnant, then I'll go off of it and everything will be fine. Everything will even back out 
and I'll be able to get pregnant and I won't have acne and I won't have endometriosis and I won't have all these other things. But that's not often the case, right? No, unfortunately. You know, for some, yes. Uh, For some, everything goes smoothly. For some, they get pregnant right away, but end up dealing with some other issues. Um, And for some, it takes a while. And I'm happy to definitely talk more about that too. Yeah, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that because it's there's still that question of how is it that someone can go on birth control because they have endometriosis and they're trying to prevent that from getting worse, but someone without endometriosis can go on birth control and it can cause endometriosis as a side effect. How does that work? Well, I don't know that we'll ever know. To be honest, and that's the sort of there. There isn't enough research on it. I mean, certainly the birth control pill does increase the risk of other health issues and diseases, like thyroid issues, uh, like increased risk of blood clots, uh, breast, cervical, liver cancers, um, diabetes, of course, heart attack, uh, autoimmune disease can be triggered, but. That's the thing. We don't know because we're not doing a good enough job tracking all these things. And um, it is a black box. And when we play around with medications, especially one that shuts off the connection between the brain and the ovaries, that's a pretty potent medication. Um, it's it's depending on you know our genetic predispositions, how we've lived our life and our bodies, our diet, our lifestyle. We don't know what's going to happen because everyone is biologically, uh, well, genetically and physiologically slightly different and unique. Um, So you don't really know. There are certainly things we could do to try to better understand someone's risk for it uh, and try to reduce the risk as well. So, you know, endometriosis is a very estrogen driven disease. How can we reduce our our other intake, we're, we're taking a synth- relatively large synthetic dose of estrogen. Um, how can we reduce estrogens otherwise in our environment to reduce that estrogen load to prevent that from happening? It's it's definitely hard to tell, but it does increase the risk of diseases. And there are definitely certain mechanisms, you know, if you were to say like, how does that happen for endometriosis? How does that happen for PCOS? I can explain it um, in a sort of specific way, backtracking it. Um, But the truth is we don't know exactly how one single person is going to react to this specific medication. Yeah. And of course, that's health all the way around, right? The biggest wild card in health, as I always say, is the patient uh, and how they're going to respond to whatever it is that's recommended for them or whatever they do. Uh, Not everybody does as well on uh, every drug. Not everybody does as well on every natural uh, supplement. It's going to be different for all of us. Exactly. So then... One of the things that I anticipate, and well, I, I don't, I know this because I've talked to so many women that are on birth control and I've talked to them about symptoms that they're experiencing and ask them the question, did you ever consider that perhaps your birth control is why you're experiencing these symptoms? And I'll say that more often than not, they say, no, I hadn't even considered that. That wasn't something I thought could be a possibility. And one of the things that I think happens with pharmaceuticals I've talked about this before on the show, is that we we tend to think of side effects as initial issues that happen right after we start on a drug. So we take a drug, we get a headache, and we say, oh, that drug causes me a headache. But if you take a drug for a year or two years or three years, and you don't start having side effects until you're in year two or three or four, in most cases, you're never going to assign those side effects to that drug that you started years ago, mm-hmm. Right. And am I right in understanding, based on your experience, that most women are not experiencing mega side effects from their birth control until they've been on it for a while? Um, Not necessarily. Not necessarily? Okay. There are some women that um, are very in tune with their bodies, and they've told me, as soon as I started taking the pill, my libido tanked completely, and I started Mm -hmm. to feel crazy. And um, they were were able to get – it's typically what I see is that – uh, just kind of piggybacking on what you said, but in a different way, um, they, until they start to experience side effects, they don't question it. And, um, they're not sort of incentivized to get off of it. 
but there are some women that will experience side effects right away. You know, I, for example, I had a roommate in college who switched her birth control and she couldn't stop incessantly crying every day. And um, as soon as she switched up, uh, to a different one, uh, she felt better. But it just even the different types of medications can affect uh, the different versions of the medication yeah. can affect people in different ways. Um, so, yeah, I mean, something to note, though, is that side effects, symptoms are the step right before disease. It, you know, the metabolic dysfunction is already happening long before any symptoms start to occur. So if you start experiencing side effects and it's been a while since you've been on this medication and you've, um, you know, started to have these side effects for a long period of time, it could be something else developing. And that's, that is what kind of the issue with birth control is like it will sort of mask these issues that you are trying to uh, sort of make go away. So like I mentioned earlier, 60% of women are taking the pill for issues not related to contraception, but actual, you know, irregular periods, acne, things like that. It's a Band-Aid and it's only going to defer that problem and when, you know, you finally come off the pill to actually address it, who knows how bad it's gotten. It definitely could have grown worse and other issues could have developed because we're putting that pressure. We're, we're challenging the systems of the body in, in a mega way. And yeah. um, we could be developing new issues and new diseases uh, and not know it until we come off of it. Yeah, somebody, I was at a conference a few years ago and somebody used the term suppressive medicine. And I loved mm -hmm. that term, you know, medicine that is suppressing natural uh, functions in the body in many cases, medicine that is suppressing symptomology, but is not addressing the underlying cause of said symptoms. And then, like you said, that thing can be actually getting worse and worse and worse uh, as as uh, we go along with the medication. So this, I think, is uh, in the time that we have left, I think is really, really important. I try to do this on every show. We've now probably thoroughly convinced a lot of women that this could be a problem that they're dealing with, or maybe they should be looking at you know, other types of solutions for the reason that they chose to go on birth control. Uh, so first, let's talk about the 40% of women who are using birth control for the express purpose of preventing pregnancy. Um, if you're saying that these contraceptives, uh, the contraceptive drugs are a problem, what do you recommend for women that are concerned about those if they still also don't want to get pregnant? Yeah, that's always the question I get. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you hear it all the time. Yeah. So our we've been tracking our cycles as females for a long time. And, and there are so many different methods that we can do this. One of my favorites is natural family planning and it's fertility awareness. And there are many types of fertility awareness methods. I personally really like the Simto thermal method, which uses hormones as signs, but also temperature, basal body temperature. Uh, there are different signs that our body will give us before ovulation, after ovulation. And if this all sounds like a foreign language to you, probably need some sort of basics um, education on the different cycles, of, sorry, the different phases of our cycle as well, uh, mm -hmm. because our, our body's not static. We may feel that way because this contraceptive pill or you know uh, whatever method it is, it kind of flatlines our hormones. So we don't have these fluctuations to look forward to. And the bleed that we have on the pill is just a withdrawal bleed. It's not a real period. So once we start to understand our cycle, and that could take a while because it really, after coming off the pill, any kind of hormonal contraceptive, there's a period of subfertility where our cycle is not going to come back right away normally for a lot of right. women. Uh, and it can take some time to understand that, but, but what better time to start to learn about your body than, you know, during this time and process. So there's uh, fertility awareness and, um, it teaches you how to understand the different phases of your cycle, the different signs to look for that you're going to ovulate when you're fertile, when you're not, uh, and you can use that for contraception or to also get pregnant. The same, 
methods that women use to track their cycle to try to conceive can be used the same way to prevent pregnancy as well. Because what you have to do, what you're trying to do is to understand when you are fertile. And right. if you can understand that, you can understand a lot. And so what you can do when you are fertile and you're trying to prevent uh, pregnancy is just use protection. And guess what? The other times, there's a lot of women that don't use protection outside of that window. And so if you have a you know partner that you trust and that sounds okay to you, that sounds pretty pretty good to a lot of women and a lot of partners. Okay. And how can women learn more about that? What are, what are the resources that you would direct them to? Are there things on your website that they can go to? What are options for education on this? Yes. So I have a book here. Actually, my laptop was propped up on it. It's called Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler. It is a really dense book, uh, but if you want to learn all the ins and outs of it, that's definitely a great resource. Uh, there's also a wonderful book by Lisa Hendrickson Jack, and she's a fertility awareness educator, and it's called The Fifth Vital Sign. That is a wonderful book. That's really, really great, much shorter, I think uh, more bite-sized too. Um, and that's just a great resource to start to learn about your cycle and how to track different ways and things like that. And yes, I am also a resource for fertility awareness. I, I'm actually coming out with a workshop with one of my fertility awareness friends very soon. And um, I also teach fertility awareness in my preconception course, my pregnancy prep course, because it's a huge part of understanding when you're fertile so that you can time you know, intercourse and intimacy correctly to try to conceive as well. Okay. So what I'm, I'll get from you after the interview, the links to, or not the links, but the names of the authors and the books, and then of course, links to your website, all of that for you listening will be in the show description uh, on any of your podcast apps. So you'll know exactly where to go for these resources. Tell us a little bit about the course uh, that you just mentioned, the preconception course. Sure. The preconception course, it's a pregnancy prep course. It's called Conscious Conception and it is actually relaunching. So I've been working on a version two of it uh, with even more helpful information to help women conceive. And the first version helped hundreds of women uh, on their fertility journey and pregnancy journey. And um, there's tons of conscious conception babies, which make me so happy. Um, but coming out with a second version, which is going to have even more information. And um, that is really created to help you prepare mind, body, and soul for pregnancy. There's, of course, the nutritional aspect, supplements, but also the pelvic floor is super important. You don't want to be in pain while you're you know, pregnant. And there's a lot we can do to mitigate that before. Um, also lifestyle, of course, and uh, the mind as well, because there's a huge component, which I think that a lot of women overlook, and that's preparing the mind for pregnancy as well. So just entering uh, pregnancy by putting your best foot forward, that's what it's all about. And if people are interested in that course, how do they find out more about that? Absolutely. So you can go to my website, innatefertility.org, uh, or you can follow me on Instagram, innate underscore fertility. I do have a wait list for the course, and that can be found in the link in my bio, um, where I'll email all the details as we get closer to launching it. Excellent. And it is innate fertility, not inmate fertility. So make sure you <laughs> type that right. Uh, don't do like I did. And and you'll find, I don't know what you'll find if you type in inmate fertility, but probably oh not something gosh. you want. <laughs> I, my okay. record is clean just for the. <laughs> We're not talking to an ex-con. Yeah. All right. So let me ask you this too, because I know it's going to come up in the minds of some women because uh, I hear about it all the time. Uh, the copper IUD, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I actually took used the copper IUD coming off the pill as well, just because I didn't trust myself uh, quite as much and I hadn't learned as much as I wanted to before using fertility awareness. Um, but that was a load of, of B. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. I, I wish I had just skipped that. Um, I mean, it can be, a, it's a definitely a non-hormonal option, but it doesn't not affect our hormones. I think a lot of women think that it won't affect it. And some of the most severe reactions actually come from this IUD. 
and it's due to the copper. And a lot of women end up feeling highly emotional, anger, uh, rage. Um, they don't feel like themselves. And um, it's it's really a lot of the mental side of, of, of the side effects uh, that we may see with the hormonal contraceptive are kind of almost amplified with the copper IUD. And it's all symptoms of copper toxicity. The copper ions will get into the body and, you know, excess copper can lead to a lot of emotional dysregulation, but also mineral dysregulation. There's a, there's a whole set of stuff that we did not even brush the surface on regarding how hormonal contraceptives affect nutrition, but so does yeah. copper as the copper IUD. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that definitely it can work beautifully for some women. Um, it will still cause inflammation and will still, you know, kind of work, uh, has its own mechanisms of action down there. Um, but it won't mess with the pituitary gland as much as the hormonal contraceptive does. So it really is up to you and the risk tolerance that you have. Uh, it is the most, um, it has the sort of happiest customer customer user rate out of any right, contraceptive, yeah. but um, it also comes it, with some pretty extreme side effects sometimes. So it's going to be a lot more individual uh, with that one, and, and maybe it's safer, but still not without its problems. Is that well, safe to say or not, maybe not necessarily? Safer? I don't know. I mean, you're ingesting a pill versus you have a device inserted into your uterus. There's risk of perforation. There's risk of dislodging and breaking off, which I've gotten all those stories. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a whole other risk of sticking something in your body that's not meant to be yeah. there. Um, it will cause inflammation regardless. And so how that inflammation manifests can be very different from person to person. So really, this whole thing boils down to, if I can sum it up and, and tell me if I'm doing it correctly here, is a woman's understanding of her own body is paramount when it comes to this. Really understanding what the cycle is, why it cycles the way that it does, the different stages of the cycle, all of these things so that you can really have an awareness. One of the things that I think is incredibly problematic in uh, healthcare today in this country is that as a populace, we seem to have just surrendered our healthcare to the person in the white coat. So we say, okay, so this is too complicated for me to understand. So I'm going to hand it off to you because you went to medical school. You take care of me. And I think it is a huge problem across the board. If we don't understand how our body works and we don't understand why it does what it does and where these types of symptoms could be coming from, it's very difficult to be able to figure out what the heck to do about it, especially if we want to do it in a natural way. And the awareness thing for me, especially when it comes to hormones and women, is just absolutely critical to truly understanding how to live a healthy life. So uh, anything you'd like to add to that before? Because we are just about out of time. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we've been disempowered and a lot of us don't trust ourselves. And that's why I said, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's why yeah. I had that reaction because uh, I still didn't trust myself enough. And the um, th that's the problem though. Like we've been outsourcing our healthcare. We've been outsourcing our fertility management to people that no, you know, don't really understand our bodies. There's so many, I could talk for hours about this, but um, no one cares about your body more than you do. And no one cares about your fertility more than you do. You're the only one that's going to have to deal with the consequences of what you decide to do with your healthcare. And so why not take ownership of that? Because you know, once you also start to welcome other people into your life, like your children, you're going to have to be responsible for them too and take ownership. And so if you're not able to do that for yourself, that's going to just turn into a lot of making decisions out of fear, making decisions that we don't feel good about. And so if we can start to take back and understand what we want for ourselves, understand our bodies, we're going to be basically no one's going to be able to stop us. <laughs> and that's empowering. I love that. I love that. Yes. Being empowered to take care of your own health is critical. I couldn't agree more. And uh, we are running out of time, but this is what I would like to do if it's okay with you. I have loved this conversation and there are many questions that I had 
that I still want to ask uh, and just don't have time with. So if you're open to it, I would love to record a part two to this in the near future and dig into, you know, recovering from uh, side effects of the birth control uh, and talk more about optimizing fertility itself uh, for women who are on the other side of this and not trying to prevent, but trying to conceive. Um, I would love to have that conversation and maybe more uh, with you in, in the future. Would you be up for that? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Excellent. Okay. So if people want to reach out to you, uh, one place to find you, of course, is uh, at innate underscore fertility on Instagram. That's how I found you. And I will just tell you that as a guy who is just fascinated in all of these things, you have posted some things that I was aware of that made sense to me because I kind of already knew the information and you've posted some stuff that has taught me a lot that I did not know. And I, I love that because I've been doing this my whole life. Uh, and whenever I can find a resource that is teaching me new stuff about um, complicated health issues, I, I relish the opportunity to learn. So I appreciate you posting those things. And if you're listening to this show, and this is a fascinating topic to you, you've got to follow uh, Lauren on um, Instagram at innate underscore fertility. You can also find you at innatefertility.org, your website. Uh, and we will have links to uh, those places uh, in the show description. We'll also have links to the books uh, that Lauren mentioned. Is there anything else that you want uh, my listeners to know before we end this uh, or cut this before we end the podcast, if I can come up with the words? Yeah. Um, so probably this episode may have been slightly overwhelming. <laughs> and so just, you know, whenever you're taking in new information, just know that you don't have to take in everything. You can process it at your own pace. You don't have to drop everything that you're doing now and completely do a 180. Just take time to process the information, decide what you want to incorporate into your life and not. And this goes for any kind of information, uh, but also make sure to be critical of that information as well. Is this something that will support me if I integrate it into my life or is it not? Am I just kind of going through the motions just because this one person said something or, you know, do I have my own thought process and my own independent sovereign thought process? So um, I challenge you to think about that, not only in the context of this conversation, but also in your daily life. Uh, I Absolutely love that and couldn't agree more. And and to finish it up, I'll, I'll just add my two cents to that idea. Don't let overwhelm let you just not do anything. Mm -hmm. I think it's very obvious uh, if you sit back and look at your life for most of us that you can see that when we get into this state of overwhelm, when we feel stress, anxiety, things like that, we get into that uh, sympathetic nervous system where we feel fight or flight. But one of the things that many of us do is we freeze when we're in that state. We do nothing because we're like, well, I don't understand how to do it. So I'm just going to not do anything. Um, take the bits and pieces like Lauren uh, mentioned that, that did make sense that you feel like you can do something with right now and take your time and be patient with yourself. This is a lot to learn. This is not a simple topic. Fertility is like it's big. <laughs> There's a lot to consider uh, when it comes to your diet, your exercise, your uh, contraception, and so on and so on. So um, don't let overwhelm uh, overcome you and uh, recognize that there are amazing resources out there. Of course, one of them I'm talking to today on Vitality Radio. If you have questions about anything you've heard on Vitality Radio, you can always call uh, me or Vitality Nutrition at 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. You can reach out to me uh, at Vitality Radio on Instagram uh, or at Vitality Nutrition Bountiful on Instagram. And if you really want to dig into these topics in a bigger way, you can also join my free Facebook community, uh, the Vitality Radio listeners community, which will be in the show description. Lauren, I appreciate your time so very much on Vitality Radio. I cannot wait to have you on for part two. Thanks so much for having me, Jared. Looking forward to it. I hope that that was as interesting to you as it was to me. I think that topic is long overdue on Vitality Radio. And when I found Lauren online and followed her for a couple of months and recognized just how well-versed she was in this subject, I decided 
now was the time. So I am really glad that I was able to bring this episode to you. Love to hear your comments uh, on the episode. If you have questions about anything you hear on Vitality Radio, call us 801-292-6662. That's 801-292-6662. Or check us out online at vitalitynutrition.com. You can also go there and there's a chat feature uh, if you want to ask questions about anything from the show or anything on the site. Uh, more often than not, I'm the guy that actually answers those chat messages, although it's not always right away. Uh, I do always try and answer them at least in the same day. So that's how you can connect with us. You can also check out the Facebook listeners community online at Facebook. There is a link in the show description as well as links to all of Lauren's uh, stuff as well. Thank you so much for listening to me. My name's Jared St. Clair, and this has been Vitality Radio. been listening to the vitality radio podcast enjoy your week in the meantime jared will be feverishly searching for the latest nutrition info to educate you on and wading into mounds of propaganda to help steer you through it vitality radio is researched and written by jared st Clair. our awesome music is by brian bob young support vitality radio by subscribing and giving us a five-star review on apple podcasts youtube or your favorite podcast source don't forget to follow us at Vitality Radio on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please let us know your thoughts about this episode by using the hashtag Vitality Radio Podcast. And if you like what you hear, go tell somebody with a share, a screenshot, or an airdrop. Thank you. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. The FDA has not evaluated this podcast. This podcast is provided with the understanding that information shared is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is not a substitute for care by a medical professional. Thank you.